Wasn't that beautiful? Global expressions of worship are things that we need to participate in. And let me say that the body of Christ all around the world is welcoming us into participation, into who we are becoming. Whatever we say about the amazing riches of world Christianity, it's first and foremost something that we need to experience, and we need to experience it in community. We can't just study about it in books or in classrooms, but world Christianity must be experienced with our bodies, emotions, within confessing communities where worshipers sing and dance, participate in the sacraments, and interpret scripture through prayer, song, and preaching. Now, by stressing global expressions of worship, I don't want to intimate that it's always located far away from us. With the migration of people all around the world, we're finding global communities of worship right here and up the street. Isn't it marvelous that we've got the Ukrainian Pentecostal Church, we've got Hispanic congregations in Nicholasville, All Nations, United Methodist Church, Lexington, Chinese Christian Church, and these expressions are changing who we are in North America. And of course, North American Christianity is part of global worship. Hence, global expressions of worship include what we find in eastern Kentucky or diverse inter- or multicultural churches in New York City. What we've done this morning is just selected representative examples so that we can taste of the beauty of what God is doing around the world through confessing communities as a means of grace. Now, of course, we've done this within very limited time frame. I remember the first time I was asked to preach in Africa, I went and did your obligatory 30-minute sermon, and afterwards the pastor leaned over to me and he said, that was a nice devotional. <laughs> so the point is that, you know, if we were really to do it, there would be no time constraints, and we would just feel free to actually express, and even we were a little inhibited. So while we were given opportunities to pray aloud, you didn't hear what we would find all around the world where people would shout out at the top of their lungs, crying out to God through their means of worship. I've been studying congregations for a long time, and I actually find such rich theological resources in local congregations and in the worship. It started with my PhD dissertation when I was researching three denominations in Africa, brought into a research grant that I was given in which I enlisted African students into this process with me, and it includes even to this day. And there's something deeply contextual and empirical in the study of congregations and how they worship that actually enriches our understanding of who God is. What I want to do is just give you five very brief, what I'm calling distinct gifts that we find within global worship. I use the word distinct not to say that they're separate from anything you've experienced, but to shine a light on them to help us to appreciate them. And I use the word gifts because these are things we need to receive into who we are becoming to be. They're means of grace that we have to receive as a body of Jesus Christ. We can't just gaze at them from afar, but that we have to embrace them into who we are becoming. 
Worship isn't a singular act, but it's a grace that unites us with sisters and brothers all around the world at different points in history into this larger doxological community. And both of the passages of Scripture that we read today were talking to that larger doxological community. Now let me give one last comment before I share some of these. What we're talking about here are not just differences in style. It's easy to just say, well, Africans love to worship through dance or South Koreans love to worship through prayer and just turn it into a stylistic thing. But I actually think that by doing that, we neglect actually the deeper theology that is actually emanating from these resources. So what I'm talking about today is theology. It's theology in and for the churches. And as a community that is centered around learning theology, we need to learn theology not just in classrooms, but we need to learn theology from our brothers and sisters all around the world, where they are doing theology in and for their local communities. It's deeply contextual in nature. It's deeply embodied. There's different resources of cosmology. There's different understandings of biblical hermeneutics. And ultimately, we need each other to grasp the magnificence of who God is, that we need this doxological community. Well, let me talk about a few of these distinct gifts. The first one I'm just going to briefly touch on, because if you travel anywhere in the world, it's the most obvious, and that is that anywhere you go in the world, there is this deep, charismatic expression of worship, that the whole, you cannot worship without through the importance of the Holy Spirit. And so, for example, I was in a church in Volta Redonda in Brazil, and here it's, meet, it's a Methodist church representative of the incredible growth of evangelical Christianity in that country. A worship band leads people in singing. Most of the parishioners are young, perhaps in their 20s. Almost everyone stretches their hands to the sky. Some are crying. A few lie prostrate, pleading to God. Healings take place during the service. Others speak in tongues. I'm the preacher that morning, and as I speak, people are constantly answering back to what I'm saying, almost as if there's 200 sermons happening, and every one of them better than my own. (laughs) After the service, I'm requested to lay hands on people who come forward in prayer. You see, we used to be able to demarcate differences between churches. We could talk about older spirit churches, indigenous spirit churches. We talk about mission churches or historic churches. We talk about newer Pentecostals and, and, and divide those up with nicely clean lines. Um, for example, I remember talking to several youth in Kenya and they would tell me, They told me that they would attend the Pentecostal church for the singing and for the prayer, and then they would walk down the street to the mission-founded church for the preaching. And that shows that in days past, there used to be these clear divisions between these churches, but now many of these lines are breaking down through what we might call the charismatization of mainline or historic churches, as well as what we might call the mainlinization of Pentecostal churches. So it's not uncommon to find mission-founded churches like this Methodist church in Volta Hedonda 
that is rapidly taking on spirit characteristics of Pentecostal churches, as well as we would find Pentecostal congregations who are strengthening their structures and doing theological education, much like the historic mainline churches. And the Holy Spirit really provides the means by which to interpret this. And what's exciting is the Holy Spirit is used in so many different ways. We like to think of the Holy Spirit as operating in certain categories, but to study churches is to actually see churches making connections that are incredible. So for example, I attended this one church and studied it, and they use the doctrine of the Holy Spirit to help move from a focus upon the Great Commission, which was taught to them by the early missionaries, into agricultural development for the health of their local communities. The Holy Spirit allows us to make those kinds of connections. And and so as we study churches everywhere, we need to realize that the Holy Spirit doesn't always lead just in loud and energetic ways, but sometimes in somber and deeply meditative ways as well. The second thing I want to talk about is what I call the globalization of worship. Um, I was hosting an American visitor in Africa, and I took him to a church. And afterwards, the church, we walked out of it, and I was curious what he thought. And I said, so tell me, what did you think of the service? And he said, oh, it was just like my home church. In one sense, globalization is making the world a smaller place, and this is true of worship as it is other aspects of globalization. I was recently in Hanoi in northern Vietnam, and we actually worshiped to Hillsong choruses. In historic denominations around the world, we find shared liturgical elements such as the Book of Common Prayer, or in older mission-founded churches, familiar hymns, Maranatha music, or Gaither music even. But one mistake we make with globalization is assuming that global worship is just borrowing from the West, but without making changes to the meanings. And so when this visitor told me that this service was just like his own church service, I wanted to scream, no! It's dramatically different. The forms may be, look the same, but the meanings that people are giving to things are drastically different. So, for example, one church may recite the Lord's Prayer just like we would recite the Lord's Prayer, but put different points of vocal emphasis on parts that are important to them. One church may sing the song, There's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. And one church may focus upon the blood of the lamb and another church may put their focus upon the power, power, wonder-working power. Or the Anglican Church of Kenya has recently rewritten their Book of Common Prayer for the Kenyan context. And what's exciting is that there are actually North American churches that have chosen to use the Kenyan Book of Common Prayer. So you see what I'm saying is that we're Western, that, that world Christianity is constantly answering back to Western forms of Christianity. And in one sense, it's making the world a smaller place, but in another sense, it's leading to greater expressions of worship. Another characteristic of worship that we found in world Christianity is a larger cosmology than what we would find in the West. 
with greater movements taking place between heaven and earth, between what happens in the church and what happens outside the church, we in the West have largely, because of our Enlightenment heritage, we have learned to paint with binary colors. So we describe things as sacred, secular, private, public. But what we find in, in global expressions of worship is a greater movement and this is one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit plays such a significant role in churches. Andrew Walls, who's that great missiologist, he comments on this reality for African Christianity. He says that the Western Enlightenment, and especially forms of Christianity that came out of the Western Enlightenment, accepted the frontier between the spiritual and the material worlds, but asserted that there were only identifiable crossing points that we carefully selected, for example, the incarnation, the resurrection, revelation, prayer, perhaps miracles. Walls goes on to say that African visions of the world were entirely different. The frontier between the empirical world and the spiritual world was being crossed and recrossed every day in both directions. And it's actually this crossing of the realms that actually helps us to see some of the theological strengths and gifts that are actually coming out of world Christianity. So for example, let me, let me identify some of these gifts that are emerging from these churches. It's themes of blessing, of power, of touch, of healing, of deliverance, the role of the pastor, the Holy Spirit's agency, the names of the divine, spiritual conflict, the localization of the sacred, along with distinct hermeneutic understandings of scripture that found, are found in the churches. I attended one church in Kenya in which the pastor is moving fluidly between the Old Testament and the New Testament, constantly going back between helping the Testaments to interpret each other. He's moving between heaven and earth and between the church and its surrounding community, weaving these together into some elaborate tapestry. So what happens because of this larger cosmology is we find integrative movements happening in these churches that give us profound insights into a larger cosmology. Very briefly, let me talk about the role of embodiment and especially the role that the corporate body plays in worship. Congregations worship corporately and through their body, and while this is true even here in North America, you, anywhere you travel in the world, the importance of embodiment is, is accentuated. I used to oversee the graduation ceremony at my theological school in Africa, and the most important decision that we would make was which choir to invite to the graduation service. And we thank the choir that led us today as well. Choirs and this corporate embodiment are such an important aspect of worship all around the world. Churches in Africa, worship begins at 7 o'clock in the morning, three hours before the pastor even arrives for the church service. Choirs perform cosmological warfare through synchronized body motions. In fact, one pastor told me that if he told his congregation that a choir wasn't going to be there on a Sunday, nobody would show up. You see, you can't, we cannot worship without our bodies. 
And that's an important lesson for all of us. And corporate expressions of worship are often understood as more efficacious. And touch plays such an important role in worship. We see touch as instrumental in prayer, such as we experienced this morning. It also functions in different churches with regard to how they participate in the sacraments or the giving of tithes and offerings or the, or the blessing or the sending of congregants out into the world as agents of mission. Let me finally talk about one last characteristic, and this is the one that has made the biggest impact on me. Worship all around the world, but especially in Africa, is this rich, textured, multifaceted doxology. The names of God are woven together with this stunning density and precision, almost like churches are knitting this ta a tapestry or constructing a scaffolding of doxology to the sky. Let me read some of what I have taken out of actual churches. Churches will pray, Father, Jehovah, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Jehovah Jireh, God who is all powerful, mighty God, Christ Lord, King of glory, God of truth, God of wonders, everlasting God, Alpha and Omega. And interlaced with all of these amazing ascriptions of doxology, they will locate human needs. You see, because as you lift God up, God is now made more accessible to human needs. We see this all throughout the churches, and it, 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 it leaves me feeling like there is so much that we can learn about the nature of God as we worship in churches around the world. The names of God are, are, is, are something, the names of God is something that people inhabit. Divine names carry meaning, and one of the purposes of prayer is to inhabit the character of God. Parishioners raise God up and interlace, and interlace this with human needs. Doxology in our churches all around the world offers, I think, one of the greatest resources for understanding how congregations interact even with their surrounding communities. Isn't this an interesting point that we often think of doxology as a private spiritual act that happens inside congregations, but what we find in the resources of world Christianity is doxology is actually that that helps people to understand mission. Theology and mission never should be separated from each other, and doxology provides us a helpful way of seeing how these are connected. Well, let me, let me conclude by taking us back to Ephesians chapter 3. We read it earlier, and it's this unbelievable prayer in which Paul is one of the most beautiful doxologies in all of Scripture. And I find it significant that all throughout, especially chapter 2 and chapter 3, Paul is constantly weaving in the importance of the diversity of the body of Jesus Christ into what he is expressing with doxology. In chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians, he talks about the bringing together of the Jew and the Gentile into a new humanity. In chapter 3, verse 15, he talks about every family in heaven and in earth. And then in verse 18, he talks about power together with all the saints to what? That we would grasp the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge 
that you, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. We need each other to praise God. Global worship is an incredible means of worship because of, of grace and of worship because it thickens our understanding of God through the diversity of men and women of congregations all around the world. As we worship together, we grow into who God is making us to be, a community of praise from all nations and from all tongues. And we're going to end this service in, I think, a really beautiful way, that as the last song is sung, what we would ask is that we would actually move out of our pews and we would gather in one large circle around this sanctuary that we would hold hands and we're going to sing the doxology, representative of who God has blessed us to be. So let's gather into one large circle.